The scripture reading, that's right. That's what I thought, I just wanted to make sure. Uh, we will be looking at Psalm 117 this morning, the shortest chapter in the Bible. So if you would, turn with me in your copy of the Bible to Psalm 117. This is God's Word. It's holy, it's inerrant, it's infallible, inspired by the Holy Spirit, our only rule for faith and for practice. Psalm 117, beginning verse 1. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol Him, all peoples. For great is His steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. The grass withers, the flowers fade. Amen. Please be seated. Would you join me as we pray together? Father in heaven, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Oh Lord, we're thankful for your word, that it is not only true, which it certainly is, but it is also the truth. We would ask that you would come now by your spirit and sanctify your people in the truth. Lord, you tell us in your word in Psalm 19 that your word revives the soul. That is what we need today, O oh Lord, that you would come by your spirit and revive our souls. Use the preaching of your word as only you can do. Drive it deep into our hearts that we might not sin against you. Lord, use it to change us for all eternity this day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1949, there were two sisters, Peggy and Christine Smith. They were 82 and 84 years old, and they lived just off the mainland of Scotland on the Isle of Lewis. Peggy was blind. Christine was very physically limited due to severe arthritis, so very bent over. Uh, and these sisters who passionately loved Jesus lived a very simple lives in their home as shut-ins. There was a burden that these two ladies on the Isle of Lewis had as they lived their life practically shut-in. See, at this time in the life of their church, there were zero young people who attended public worship in the town. I'm not saying there was a few or there was one. There were zero. Not one young man, not one young woman went to the parish church. The future of the Church of Jesus Christ on the Isle of Lewis looked bleak at best. 
Understandably, these sisters were very concerned about the spiritual condition going on in the Isle of Lewis. So they came up with the plan. They were going to pray. Their home became a safe haven where they earnestly poured out their hearts to the Lord, beseeching the Holy Spirit to cause a spiritual awakening that many young people might become followers of Christ and be discipled in the church. So, this was their game plan. Peggy and Christine made the deliberate decision that they would pray extensively two times every week on Tuesdays and Fridays, and their schedule was kind of unique because they prayed from 10 p.m. until 3 or 4 in the morning. This was their passage that was kind of their theme verse, Isaiah 44, verse 3, which says, I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Well, eventually these sisters, as they continued praying, they approached their pastor and suggested that he, with the church leaders, should also gather to pray. So the pastor and several other church leaders met in a barn for two months and prayed at the same time on Tuesdays and Fridays while the two sisters prayed from their homes. I don't know about you, but I don't know that I have that kind of dedication to pray from 10 p.m. till 3 or 4 in the morning. But here we find godly examples of true prayer warriors. I'm sure in this congregation y'all have some prayer warriors like that. Perhaps not that time frame, but you have some people that are earnest in that same way about praying. Asking the Lord to work in the very way that He promises in Scripture. Well, this morning as we look at Psalm 117, it's, it's very short. It's very sweet. It's very succinct. But I'd like to use it this morning as a primer for prayer. The Psalms have been described as the hymn book of the church. We just sang Psalm 110. So it's appropriate that we would turn the, the psalms into singing, but it's also the prayer book of the people of God. If you ever don't know how to pray, which happens to me quite frequently, we should look to Scripture. We should look to the psalms. And specifically, as we look at Psalm 117, we have a prayer for the nations. It's the Old Testament version of the Great Commission where Jesus instructs the disciples to go and make disciples of all the nations. So here in Psalm 117, we are learning how to biblically pray with the same desires of Christ. So let, let's turn our attention to Psalm 117 as we consider how we should pray for the nations. We're going to see in this passage that because God requires praise from all nations, we should pray for conversions. Now you may be wondering, well, how, how specifically are we to pray for conversions? Well, I'm glad you asked. The passage tells us there's two distinct ways that we can pray 
and this is going to serve as our two-point outline this morning, two distinct ways that we can pray for the nations from Psalm 117. And there's a, a quick piece of application as we look at this psalm when it comes to prayer. Our prayers do not need to be complex. Very short, very succinct, sometimes the most helpful prayer you can get out while you're driving with your eyes open, you don't need to close them when you're driving, is help. Sometimes that's a great prayer to pray. It does not need to be this robust Puritan prayer. It can be. Those are helpful. But our prayers can also be simple. So our first point, we should pray for conversions of all peoples and nations. Look with me back to verse 1. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol Him, all peoples. So the psalmist begins Psalm 117 with this strong covenantal phrase, Praise the Lord. This phrase functions as what we know in literary teaching to be an inclusio. Now, you may not know what an inclusio is, but it's basically a sandwich. See, if you look at the psalm, you see praise the Lord, and at the bottom you see praise the Lord. Those are the two pieces of bread in a sandwich, which means that we need to focus on the meat, which is surrounding that praise the Lord at the beginning and the end. Both phrases begin and end that literary structure with praise the Lord. And the psalmist begins with a command as he invokes the presence of God and to the distinct worship of God. The same Lord of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He uses the covenant name for Yahweh, the covenant-making, covenant-keeping God of Israel. And what's unique is the psalmist says, the nations are called to praise the Lord. Typically when you see that phrase, praise the Lord, it's the church or Israel that is called to praise the Lord. Not the nations. But this time, the Gentiles, the heathen peoples are called to praise the Lord. And as I've already pointed out, this makes perfect theological sense in light of the Great Commission in Matthew 28. That Jesus gives the command that while we are going through life, we are to make disciples by baptizing, by in teaching. And behold, He is with us always to the end of the age. So, verse 1 at a glance might appear to be redundant. Sometimes you see that and you're like, why did they say it that way twice? Praise the Lord, all nations, extol Him, all peoples. But the author chooses those words very intentionally. Because Israel was frequently referred to as the people of the Lord, the people of Yahweh. But they would have never been referred to as the nation of Yahweh. Because that was the term that was used for all of the ites. You know, the Ammonites, Perizzites, the Moabites, the Edomites. These nations were those who were the enemies of God. They were the enemies of the people of God. So the psalmist here shows us that the call of praise to God 
extends to everyone from every tribe, tongue, people, and language. So in Psalm 117, the point here is simple. All peoples, the church, all nations, everybody else, the heathen idolaters from all kinds of places are called to praise the name of the Lord. And if you look very closely, you can see that does not exclude any kind or category of people. Even those outside of the covenant community, even your, perhaps you have some family members that are not currently walking as followers of Christ. Mo and I have family members that are not believers yet. We pray a type of Psalm 117 for our family members that the Lord would draw them into the church, draw them to himself. This command conveys the theological reality that all of creation has been made for the purpose of glorifying God. And that's good news for us. I don't know your uh, ethnic background, but I would imagine most of us in this room are Gentiles. Some of you may be ethnic Jews. Perhaps your family came from Israel. That's wonderful if you have. But most of us are perhaps European or African or Asian or uh, North American mutts. I'm Scottish and Irish and German and English, and I'm just a, a European mutt, essentially. This is good news for the Franklins. Because in the New Covenant, the Great Commission, the Gospel has been offered to everyone from every tribe, tongue, people, and language. It's not restricted to one particular people group. And even in Psalm 117, we're getting a picture of heaven, aren't we? A revelation song description of what eternity in heaven will be like as praise shall burst forth to Almighty God. We're told in Revelation, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. I wonder if we have this kind of perspective of the kingdom of God that moves beyond the color of our skin. Or, let's get specific, do we desire to see Yankees come to Christ? People from the Midwest or California? We need to be honest about this self-assessment. Does this local congregation, New Covenant Presbyterian Church, truly look like all the distinct facets of the surrounding community? Be it different races, different economic statuses, different ages, or different family structures? Is this congregation seeking? You, you may not, it can't always happen very easily because you don't know who the Lord's going to bring, but are you seeking to bring all kinds of different people? into the family of God. That should be our heart, that we would long to see lost people, no matter what they look like, no matter how they act, see them come to Christ. And Billy Graham is a great example of this. A man who desired to see 
the conversion of the nations. Billy Graham was, was a unique character in the 20th century. Uh, his ministry always focused on preaching and praying that people from all over the world would know Jesus. Uh, in fact, he was actually invited uh, to come behind the iron, current, uh, iron curtain excuse me, during the darkest days of communist Russia. It's pretty amazing that he was invited to come preach the gospel in a communist country. Millions upon millions of people around the entire world heard the simple yet profound message of Billy Graham, which is the message of the Bible. Repent and believe the gospel that Jesus forgives sinners. Eventually, he reached every inhabited continent, preaching the gospel all over the world. And as he came to the end of his life, of course, he had lots of books that were written and interviews. And he was asked one time about his success. He said, how have you been so successful in your ministry? And this was his answer. He said, the secret ingredients, three things. Pray, pray, pray. And as he continued in the interview, he responded to the statement about his success and said, so many people think that somehow I carry a revival around in my suitcase and they just announce me and something happens. But that's not true. He said this. He said, this is the work of God. And the Bible warns that God will not share his glory with another he said, all the publicity that we receive sometimes frightens me because I feel that therein lies a great danger. If God should take his hand off of me, I would have no more spiritual power. The whole secret of the success of our meetings is spiritual. It's God answering prayer. I wonder, do we really believe in the power of prayer? Or do we only view it as a last resort when we can't find our keys? Or whatever it is that we lose all the time. I'm always losing my wallet, keys, and phone. It's a game I like to play every day. Where are my wallet, keys, and phone? Do we want to see the nations come to Jesus? Are we just content with the status quo? And let me just say, I, I am so encouraged that your congregation has midweek prayer meeting. Uh, you may recognize the name uh, Doug Kelly, who used to teach at Reformed Theological Seminary in Jackson years ago. And then uh, when my wife and I were attending RTS in Charlotte, he taught uh, our systematic theology courses. He started a prayer meeting. I know that shouldn't surprise most of you if you know him. Uh, for the students on Thursdays, but he also had a, a prayer meeting that was on Wednesdays during the lunch hour. And he adamantly believes, he's still alive, he adamantly believes that the state of the American church is in the condition that it's in today because American churches have ceased midweek prayer meetings. 
And this is just an encouragement. I don't know what you pray for on Wednesdays. I'm glad you're gathering and praying. Don't ever stop that. Even if it's just the pastors and a few of you, don't ever stop it. It's wonderful. Are you praying Psalm 117 when you gather together? Praying that the Lord would bring in the nations into His covenant family. We should pray for conversions of all peoples and nations. And secondly, this is our second point. This is how we do it. We should pray for conversions by pleading the promises of God. We should pray for conversions by pleading the promises of God. The promises of God that are found back in verse 2. For great is His steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. In verse 2, the psalmist tells us why the Lord is to be praised. Because His steadfast love endures forever. And it is great towards every tribe, tongue, people, and language. Praise is to be given unto the Lord due to the fact that He is God. And He is faithful to His covenant promises. These two attributes of God combined to make a covenant reality that God's love is always faithful. Paul explains in Romans 15 that Psalm 117 is prayed, and when it's prayed, it's praying the promised reality that we see fulfilled in Romans 15, that God's steadfast love, that the heathen nations would participate in the promises of God. That a Scottish, Irish, German, English mutt would come and worship the triune and living God. Even when we are faithless, our God remains faithful to his covenant promises, loyal to fulfill the covenant promises from of old. And it's a clear expression of his kindness to bring the Gentiles into his church. You may be familiar with the the great Puritan John Owen, and if you are, you know that he wrote very robustly. He did not know how to write a short sentence very often. He has a a collection of 16 volumes of the works of John Owen. And his sentences were more like paragraphs. But he has a little short quote here that I want to read you about prayer, which is unusual for him. He says, effectual prayer for the Christian is pleading the promises of God. Effectual prayer for the Christian is pleading the promises of God. And John Owen is emphasizing something really important. In order for us to plead the promises of God, we need to know the promises of God. It's not, as David Irving has said in a lecture at the Twin Lakes Fellowship, it's not tweeting, tweeting, it's not cheating, I don't tweet, it's not cheating to use your Bible when you pray. To turn to the Psalms, to turn to Psalm 117 and pray that all the nations would praise the Lord. And as we consider learning 
how to pray, we must look to Scripture and specifically the Psalms. Because as one of my seminary professors said, the Psalms give us an authentic expression from us to God as praying enables the Psalms to strip us of our hypocrisy. To just pray the Bible. As we pray for the conversions of the nations, we should plead verse 2. That, O Lord, would your steadfast love toward us and the faithfulness of the Lord, may it endure forever. We should pray earnestly that every tribe, tongue, people, and language would know that steadfast love. Sometimes it's a really short prayer before we put our son to bed. We pray for a couple family members that are not believers because it's important to pray for that, but it's not very complicated and he gets distracted really quickly at six months and so we try to be really quick. But that's important. What are your desires? Psalm 117 shows us that Christians should have the desires of Jesus. That he prays in John 17 when he prays, Oh Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Praying that we would know the love of the Father. He was praying for you in John 17. Christ in that commission he gives the church clearly articulates that it should be the desire of all believers that all kinds of people should commune with God. It's a picture that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we long for that day. But until he comes, let us pray. Psalm 117. Are you praying for the conversion of the nations? Perhaps you have family or friends that are not believers in Jesus Christ. Perhaps you have prodigal children Don't give up on praying for them. Pray for them. Pray for them by name. That the Holy Spirit would draw them to himself. I want to use an illustration to kind of bring all this together. Uh, When I was in high school, I was a a pitcher. And I threw a a four-seam fastball and a knuckleball. And my four-seam fastball was very, very slow but very accurate. And I would just throw it in there and they would hit it and the the infielders and outfielders would hopefully, unless they hit a home run off of me, they would, you know, ground it and throw it first. It wasn't complicated. It was just zipping it right in there as fast as I could throw my four-seam accurate fastball. I was told by a, a pastor in seminary, we need to preach the fastball. We need to preach the gospel. It's not complicated. Just zip it right in there. Jesus saves sinners. It's not complicated. 
We need to pray that way too. It's not complicated. Just zip it right in there. Pray, Lord, bring the nations to yourself. Would you save our family members and friends? Draw them to yourself. Show them their sin and their need for Christ. Before we close this morning, you may be wondering what happened to our two ladies in their prayer meeting. Well, their story doesn't end in a prayer group, which would not be a bad way to end, by the way. Uh, The Lord uses these two ladies to spark a spiritual revival that swept across the Hebride Islands off the coast of Scotland for almost three years, from 1949 to 1952. And remember their concern that there were zero young people who were in the church, zero young people that loved Christ. Well, there's one evangelist, Duncan Campbell, who reports that approximately a hundred young people were at a dance one evening as the revival began to take off. And this is what he records. He said, over a hundred young people were at the dance in the parish hall, and they were they were not thinking of God or eternity. We'll just leave it at that. God was not in all of their thoughts. They were there to have a good time. And suddenly, the power of God fell on that dance. The music ceased in a matter of minutes, and the hall was empty. They fled from the hall as a man fleeing from a plague, and they made for the church. Men and women who had gone to bed rose, dressed, and made for the church. Nothing in the way of publicity. But God took the situation in hand. He became his own publicity agent. A hunger and a thirst gripped the people. Six hundred of them now are at the church standing outside. And then the doors were opened and the congregation flocked back into the church. Now the church is crowded. A church to seat over 800 is now packed to capacity. It's now going on towards midnight. And Duncan Campbell says, I managed to make my way through the crowd along the aisle toward the pulpit and I found a young woman, a teacher in the grammar school lying prostrate on the floor of the pulpit, praying. And this was her prayer. Oh God, is there mercy for me? Oh God, is there mercy for me? She had been one of those young people at the dance. She is now lying on the floor of the pulpit, crying to God for mercy. Now, after I read that account, I need to say two things. Number one, I realized after the Asbury awakening that there might be some different opinions on what revival is. True revival is people who come to Christ and repent of their sins and are brought into the church. Uh, So I was not there. I can't have too much of an assessment of what happened here uh, on the Isle of Lewis. The second thing that needs to be said is If those women had just prayed and the Lord had never answered it in this much of a gracious way, it doesn't mean that we stop praying because we don't know what the Lord's going to do. And it could be that he brings that one prodigal child home. He brings that one family member to himself. But we're not the ones that do that. We're not the one that changes a heart of stone into a heart of flesh. That is the work of Almighty God. It is a spiritual miracle. And so we pray our socks off and leave it to him.
Are we praying for the conversion of the nations by pleading the promises of God? These sisters praised the Lord. They prayed for the conversion of the nations and they pleaded these precious promises of Psalm 117 back to our great God. May the Lord make us prayer warriors like these two women. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we do praise the Lord and we long to see praise of the Lord to come from all nations. That all peoples would extol you. Oh Lord, your steadfast love is great towards us and your faithfulness endures forever. We pray, Lord, that the nations would know of your covenant faithfulness. Lord, for the family members, and I begin with my own family, for the friends, for perhaps those who have walked away from the faith for a season or are living under the discipline of the church, or our covenant children, we think of Nora and Edward. Oh Lord, would they never know a day where Jesus is not Lord and King of their life. Draw them to Yourself by Your Word and Spirit. Raise them up to be men and women who love King Jesus, who love Your Word, who love Your church. Lord, show the unconverted in our neighborhoods their sin and their need for the cleansing blood of Christ. Revive your church, O Lord. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.